0: I invite you to take your Bibles, let's open it to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20. If you've ever read read the book of Revelation, I think this is like the biblical uh, ice bucket challenge. It's meant to be like ice water on you that makes you gasp at the realities of what's happening in this book and in our world. And the second coming of Christ. And so for those of you visiting us, we are busy with a mini-series about ultimate realities. We've looked at the doctrine of hell, the ultimate reality that there is hell. And, and then we also looked at the doctrine of resurrection, when Jesus comes again. That we will be raised up from the dead to be with the Lord forever. And today we'll look at this great reality of the final judgment also known as the great white throne judgment. And then, Lord willing, next week we'll look at heaven together, and the new heaven and the new earth, and be encouraged. So today might be heavy, because it should be, because we're looking at the last judgment, what will happen on that day. And then next week we'll look at heaven. Let's read together the text. And as we read it, remember that this is the reading of the word of God. Revelations 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Father, we pray that you would enlarge our understanding, that we would see a glimpse of that day when Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. Lord, may this text cause us to fear you. May you show our utter, utter sinfulness, our utter hopelessness apart from Christ. Lord, please help me, Lord, to preach this You know, Lord, I cannot preach this rightly without your help. So I pray and ask you for your help, Lord. Be with us now. We trust you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So imagine with me if there is no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. That's how the famous song, Imagine, by John Lennon begins. It gives the impression for us that if there were a world where there is no heaven, no hell, no religion, no judgment day, that would be peace. That would be the utopia we would all be longing for. That would be a perfect world, according to the song. Now, the irony of that song is that it is right. It is a pure work of imagination. That's the best you can do with that song. You can only imagine. The reality is the exact opposite of the song. People who deny the existence of God, the realities of heaven and hell, and a final judgment day, end up becoming completely hopeless, purposeless, and morally bankrupt. It is when people scoff, At the final judgment that they feel liberated to do the most despicable evils you can imagine to other human beings. This is not new. Psalm 10 long ago reads like this. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high. Out of his sight, as for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversary. He lurks in ambush like a lion. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. That's the attitude of someone that says there is no God. There is no judgment day. I can do whatever I like. And the reason for this is quite simple, right? If, there's, if we are just material things, we're just material beings, no ultimate purpose, no ultimate goal, no ultimate accountability, nothing matters. It doesn't really matter if you murder someone. That's just the cruel world we're living in of nature. It's the cruel, merciless indifference of nature. In fact, Richard Dawkins, a famous atheist, said that very phrase. He said, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect If there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Now, we should at least respect Dawkins for being consistent with his worldview, because that is what you should end up with if there is no God. But you know as well as I do, you cannot live in a world like that. When somebody is brutally murdered, when we think of the Holocaust, When you think of children being abused in the most horrific ways, when we even think of the corruption and the injustice that so often happens without any consequences, who of us can say, that's nature, that's how the world is, survival of the fittest, get over it? No, you and I know we are not just animals. We are made In the image of God with the conscience burnt into our very souls that we know what is right and wrong. And there is outrage with injustice and there is a desire and praise for what is good. That is why the final judgment is surprisingly very good news for you and me. On that day, all wrong, every sin will be punished. Every secret that people thought they could get away with will be exposed. Every purpose and intent of the heart will be made clear. No one will escape from the almighty hands of God and from the omniscient eyes of God. Now, if you are honest with yourself, you will know that that should also be very, very, very scary for you. Okay, wait, did you say every sin, every secret? Every evil, including my evil, my sin, my secret thoughts, will that also be judged? Yes. And that's why we need the whole scriptures to teach us what the final judgment day is going to be about. So this passage will reveal to us the judge, who is the one that will be judging us, the judged Who of us will be judged, and then finally the judgment. That will be our outline today. So first, consider with me: the judge. The judge, who will be the judge on this great day? The judge makes the world difference, doesn't it? Not does it not? Because if the judge has all the evidence and he knows who is guilty and innocent, and yet he's corrupt, it doesn't matter. Justice will fail. Or if there's a good judge, but he just doesn't have all the, all the evidence. He just does not know who is guilty here. He cannot execute judgment. Is this going to be the judge? No, this judge knows all things. Look at verse 11. And he is a pure judge when it says, Then I saw a great white throne. White means pure it's not going to be a spot of injustice, not a spot of being indifferent to one person and to another person. Favoritism, bribes has no effect on this judge. Notice something in this text. It doesn't mention anything about other thrones, about angels, about all the people that's going to be around there. It's as if when, when John saw the white throne judgment seat, that's all he sees because in the light of his judgment, Nothing else matters. You won't worry about what other people think or what other angels. You'll only see the white throne and him who is seated. Notice that in verse 11. He says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Who is this him that John sees? Now, this, I believe, is a clear illusion to Isaiah 6. Some of you will know what Isaiah 6 is about. It's when Isaiah also saw a vision of the throne of God. Listen to Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, Holy This vision of the Lord seated on the throne immediately made Isaiah aware of his sins. And this was said as a saint. Isaiah speaks here as a believer. When he just has a glimpse of the throne, he is, over, is undone. I am a man. And did you notice? Isn't that interesting? What are the sins that, that strikes him? My words. If we are honest. When you think of your sins, would you be thinking about, I mean, we're thinking about like things like murder and things like adultery and these big sins. But our sins of our lips, everybody does them, right? Why so, such a hang up with our lips? But if you notice, if you just think about the sins of your lips, none of you will make it. Every lie you've ever told every time we gossiped about somebody else behind their back, every time we criticized with an evil intent, every time we have spoken disrespectfully to our parents or about our superiors, every time we should have said something and yet we remained quiet and silent out of fear, every time we cursed, every time we spoken half-truths, our lips alone will drag us to hell. Our lips alone condemns us. This will be a holy judgment. Holy, holy, holy. But this still doesn't answer our question. Who is this he, this Lord that is seated on the throne that Isaiah saw? Now, interestingly, the same author of Revelation tells us who Isaiah saw in John 12, verse 39 to 41. Listen to John twelve, thirty-nine. He says, Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said he he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Where is that from? Where is that quotation from Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 6. John quotes Isaiah 6, and listen to this. Isaiah, this is verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him, Jesus the Lord Jesus. So John tells us in his gospel, the holy God of Isaiah 6 is Jesus. That's whom he has seen. He's the one on the throne. He is going to be the judge. The rest of the Bible says exactly the same thing. Who will be the judge? Listen to Acts 17, the 30. It says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance of all by raising him from the dead. 2 Timothy 4 verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead. Who is to judge the living and the dead? The Lord Jesus. But I thought Jesus is full of love. I thought he's full of grace. I thought... I thought he came not to condemn us, that he won't judge us, but I thought he came to save us. Won't he be merciful to people on that day? Beloved, yes, he is full of grace and mercy. There is more grace in him than sin in you. But you think wrongly if you mistake his patience with you for his acceptance of you. We mistake thinking that God is, because God is slow to anger, therefore he doesn't become angry at all. No. He is patient now. He wants you to come now. Now is the time of grace. Now is the time to not harden your heart, but to come to Christ. And then when he comes again, patience is ended. Mercy has stopped. Then it's only judgment. Judgment. The same Jesus who came to save and is called the Lamb of God will become the Lion on Judgment Day with fiery eyes. I love this picture. Turn turn just one page back to Revelation 19. Look at this imagery of Jesus in Revelation 19 verse 11. He says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. He judges in righteousness. So this picture that his eyes are like flaming fire means his eyes can pierce you. His eyes can pierce right through you and me. It can look into the very depths of your heart, your motives, the intent of everything you've ever done. That's how deep he can look into you. You won't be able to say to him on judgment, Lord, but that's not what I meant. You know how people do that, you know? People say things, people do things, and then they, they have this get out of jail free card by saying, You just misunderstood me. That's not what I meant. Jesus will just be able to say, Let's listen to the intent of your heart and play it back for everybody to hear what you were actually thinking in that day, in that moment, whenever you did anything. Do you hear yourself? That's you. That's your intent. You cannot hide from him. I find it so sad when people have those bumper stickers on their cars and say, only God can judge me. Really? That just shows they don't know God. If you knew God, you don't want him to judge you because he looks at your heart. This is our judge. He never will judge unrighteously, unrighteously, and he knows all things. But secondly, let's consider the judged. Who will be the judged? The simple answer of this text is everybody. Now here we have a small issue I think we need to address. According to one view, the premillennial, pre-tribulational view, this judgment here is not for believers. This is only for unbelievers And there's a lot of merit to this view because you see here people fleeing, people being cast into the lake of fire. This looks like it's only a judgment for unbelievers. But even in this view, the judgment will still be the same because the text that normally is referred to the Bema seat of Christ or the judgment seat of Christ refers to Christians. And listen to the judgment there in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, where Paul says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Do you hear? For what will believers be judged? For what they have done. This is exactly what will happen in this passage twice. Did you notice it in verse 12 and 13? Look at 12 and 13 at the end. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done look at the end of verse 13 and they were judged each one of them according to what they had done you see the point is the same for the believer you'll be judged for what you have done for the unbeliever you'll be judged for what you have done i don't think many people know this that the judgment will be a judgment of your works what you have done in the body and you see what will happen to people that realizes they will give an account to this judge in verse 11 From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Again, on earth, how many times do people get away with their sin? They can flee. They can hide. But here, you cannot flee. Because the end says there was no place found for them. Imagine as your name is called to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And as you walk towards the throne, you see people, angels running away from the throne and say, flee, flee, flee from the wrath to come. And your name is mentioned and you are coming to the throne. You have to now be given a, give account for what you have done. Stand face to face to him. Listen, sometimes people have this idea that if they stand before God or before Jesus, they have a few questions for him as if they are going to be the judge. I have a few questions for you. Why didn't you do that? Why did you do it like that? Why? Where were you when? Oh, beloved, we need a vision of this throne. We need a reminder of who we are and who he is. We need just a glimpse like Isaiah and say, woe is me. That's not what's going to happen. You are not going to interrogate God. You will say, woe is me, for I am a sinful man. I am a sinful woman. Listen to Jeremiah twenty-three, twenty-four. When you want to hide, it says, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? Declares the Lord. Proverbs fifteen, eleven. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of man. The very secrets of Sheol and death are open to him. Look, look at verse 13 when it says, The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. You see, so even the deepest parts of the world, like the depths of the sea, will just open up and yield you to the judge. Amos 9 gives this graphic picture of God trying to find people who, to judge. Listen to Amos 9. It says, If they dig into Sheol... From there shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search them and out and take them. If they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before the enemies, there I will command the sword and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. Judgment is inevitable. And we will be judged, as we have seen, for every single thing we've ever done. This includes every intention of your heart in the good things you've done. You know those Pharisees that were praying and they looked so great? God could look in their hearts and see you did that for the praise of men. Romans 2.16, when Paul says, on that day, God will judge the secrets of men. The secrets of men. The text really emphasizes nothing will be forgotten. In verse 12, this is the imagery when it says that books were opened, right? The idea of a book, it has this this idea that everything is recorded down. Nothing will be forgotten. Even where your memory fails, even the sins you have done and have long forgotten will be brought up again. Listen, imagine if I, as a mere man, were to make this following announcement. Imagine I knew everything about you, every secret thing you've done, every time you thought something unclean, every secret. Imagine I knew that and I was, I was going to announce today, today I'm going to reveal everything to all of you about that person, about you. I would say that would be the closest you would ever come to murdering, wanting to murder another human being. If I were to say that to you, that I'm going to reveal everything about you. And yet, what am I? I am just like you. I am a man of unclean lips. I am a sinner, like you. And yet, you would be afraid for me to do that. But again, you're not going to stand before a man like me. You're going to stand before the holy God of the universe. The spotless one, the perfect one. If you have been listening to me at all, you should feel hopeless. You should feel your utter spiritual bankruptcy. How can anyone then escape God's wrath? How will anyone be saved if this is true? Well, it all depends on how you respond to the Lord Jesus Christ now. What will be the difference between unbelievers and believers? This is the astonishing good news of the gospel. It, when I was studying this, it felt like too good to be true. Like, I cannot believe this. This doesn't feel real to me, but it's true. For those who have repented and trusted in Jesus, all your sins are gone. It will not be judged. Now, I thought about it, but okay, but won't it at least be brought up again? Won't it be mentioned? Won't it still be revealed what I, who I am and what I have done Right? But not if you are in Christ, if He has paid the price for your sins. You see, God made a way of escape for you to be saved. There is the Lamb of God who takes away of the sin. God built His own ark of the flood of His wrath that's coming, and His name is Jesus. Everyone who comes on this ark will be spared. Now, can you imagine what Jesus did on that cross? You and I would be fearful to just stand with our own sin before God. If, imagine if you just had to be judged for your sin, your one life of sin. It would be too much for you. But what did Jesus take to the cross? Did he take one man's, one woman's sin? He took countless, countless numbers of people, millions of people's sins on his body and felt the wrath of God for all of those sins. And he satisfied it. That's why he could not have been a man on that cross alone, a mere man. If, even if he was a perfect man, if he was not God, he would have been crushed under the weight of God's judgment for all of our sins. But because he is truly God, truly man, On that cross, he could satisfy God's wrath for all of those people's sins. There is this bottomless fountain of God's grace. If all the world should drink from this grace, not one hair length of it would be diminished. That's how rich, full his grace is for all you who would repent and come to Christ. So the question, what about our secret sins? What about those failures? Will they be brought up? Listen to these promises. I don't know what these promises mean. If it means that God will bring up again our sins and our failures on judgment day. Listen to them. Psalm 103 verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Micah 7 verse 19 He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. Isaiah 43 verse 15. I I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. Think about that. God obviously never forgets our sins. He's omniscient. What does it mean when he says, I will never remember your sins? I will never bring it up again. I will never bring it up again in judgment over you. It is done. Your sins are punished. It is finished. This is the good news of the gospel that through Jesus, there is full and free forgiveness. That promise is really true when it says there is no condemnation. No condemnation. So in what sense will believers then be judged for our works? Because we just said believers are judged also for their works. In what sense are we then judged for our works? Jesus makes this very point in Matthew 12. I think Matthew 12 is the key. Listen to Matthew 12, 33. Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. Now listen to this. This is the key. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. What your words will show on that day is whether you were a fake Christian or whether you were a true Christian. Because a good tree... If you are a good tree, if you've been born again by the Holy Spirit, what comes out of your mouth is the evidence and the proof that you are no longer thinking like the world. By your words, you'll be justified. Everybody will see there is a true Christian. Listen to his prayer life. When nobody else knows that, listen to when he's all alone. Listen to how he thinks. Listen to how he talks. Listen to how he fears God. When nobody sees, he knows God will judge him. He doesn't do those sins. And by your words, you'll be condemned. If you've prayed the most lavish prayers, the most beautiful prayers, but in secret, you watch pornography and in secret, you you criticize and you're full of pride and you you talk about your words will condemn you. And then those will say, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy? Do we not do these mighty works in your name? Depart from me, you workers of God. Lawlessness. You see, so the judgment will show the will. It would be clear for everybody whether you are a true believer or a fake believer, a hypocrite or one who feared God in private. If you just look at the Sermon on the Mount again, think about the things Jesus wants us to do. What is the will of the Father? Is to forgive from the heart, to pray in secret, to not look with lust, to reconcile with another person that's angry or have bitterness towards you. Those are the kind of things God looks at and He smiles. He sees the good works of His children. And so Judgment Day does not have to be fearful for you if you are a Christian, if you're in Christ. So it all depends on your relationship with Him. There is one God. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. It depends on your relationship, on what side you are on. Imagine if somebody breaks into your house and at the same time a policeman arrives. Now, the same policeman both brings terror to the criminal and relief to the victim, right? Or to the innocent one. And that's exactly how it's going to be when Jesus comes again. For those who do not know him, those who are dead in their sins, it would be terrifying. But for us... For you who know Christ, it would be a relief, a joy to see him. Because you know your sins are gone. You know you're, you don't have to pay for them again. And the, the maturity God wants for you is that spoken of in 1 John 4. He says, by this love is perfected that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. I don't know about you. That is a, that's an astonishing verse. Confidence to be judged by God. But you see the difference. It's not a confidence in our righteousness. It's not a confidence that we were good and we did a lot of. No, it's a confidence that our sins are washed away. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. That's where God wants us to be. So even though the judge will be Jesus... Who will execute perfect judgment, even though every single person will be judged for every single thing they've ever done, those in Christ are safe. He's the Passover lamb. And this leads us to the final point, then the judgment. What is the judgment? We've seen the judge, we've looked at the judged, but then let's consider the judgment. We already see the joy of judgment, a, a, a foretaste of believers for heaven, the new heaven to come in verse 14. Look at verse 14. It says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Now, this is clearly figurative language, right? Death is killed. Death is judged. Death is punished. What's the idea? There won't be any death in the, when Jesus comes again. That would be the last enemy to be rid of his universe. And I, I say this with a lot of Um, understanding but Christians have a wrong view of death you know when someone dies especially an older person that dies we say what a relief finally that person is free from their suffering that's not biblical that's not how the bible talks of death death is an enemy even an old person shouldn't have died that person shouldn't have aged to die is part of the curse But when Jesus comes, he will reverse that and death will be no more. We will never age, never grow weak, never grow tired. We will have perfect energy, perfect love. And no death. That's what this is communicating when God casts death into hell. It's the idea of death is dead. Death has been killed by Christ. And yet this judgment will also include everyone whose name is not found in the book of life. Look at the judgment in verse 15. It says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Here's the irony of this passage. Remember, what were they doing? The people here were fleeing from the presence of God, running away from him. They don't want him. You know why? Because they don't want, didn't want him on earth. On earth, people didn't love God. They hated God. They fled from him. They didn't regard his word. And on judgment day, they will flee from God. And then God will give them what they want. He will cast them away from his presence. This is how 2 Thessalonians speaks. It says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I love how C- C- Lewis put this in his book, The Great Divorce. He quotes George MacDonald and he says, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. That's judgment when God gives people what they want, to be cast away from his presence forever. I close with this, just a few short applications. How should the final judgment, this ultimate reality, inform the way we think and inform the way we live? First, The final judgment is the reason we always know that in the end, nobody gets away with their evil. Nobody gets away with their sin. This is a key thing that you should tell people. Have you heard this famous objection, if God is all-loving, if God is all-powerful, then why are there so many evil in the world? Right? That's a classic argument against God, but we should reply and say, oh, but you forget that God is also patient. God is also patient. If God were to instantly judge every evil, you and I would not be speaking now. Because if God were to judge every evil, at the moment it occurred, you would be in hell right now. But one day, that patience will end. Do You see, so it is a way for us to have hope. It really does give us hope when we see horrific crimes, horrific evils we can know and trust. Evil does not have the final word in God's universe. Second, this is meant to encourage you when evil things happen to you personally. Romans 12 argues like this it says, How this should free you up from bitterness because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. So you don't have to give people vengeance because vengeance is the Lord's. You can rest. And that's the thing. I think why people so struggle with letting go of their bitterness is because they really don't believe God will judge, that God will bring justice for them, that God will vindicate. There's that functional unbelief that if I don't take care of this, who will? Third, for believers, this is a comfort because not just will we be judged for our sins, which is already judged in Christ, but we will be rewarded for everything we've ever done, every good work we've done will never be forgotten. I love how Jesus said this, even a cup of cold water. Yeah, brother, My brother and I, Reinhardt were speaking about it. It's not just water, it's cold water. It's like this, my love for you is such, I will give you cold water. If you do that because of your love for other Christians, it will by no means be forgotten by God. You see, because we won't be judged for our sins, our judgment day is really just an award ceremony. And you know what happens, what does not happen at an award ceremony? Okay, the worst person award goes to? Pastor Jan, you can walk up. Come. Okay, Christians won't receive rewards for their failures. They will only receive rewards for what they have done. See, that's an encouragement for us to work hard as for the Lord, to not be found on that day when our works are tested by fire that we have nothing to give. I think the only shame we will feel on judgment day Is that we have wasted so much of our talent, so much of our opportunities, that when the fire burns it up, it will just be wood, hay, and stubble. But we want our works to be like gold, silver, and precious stones. But that should be encouraging to you. Work. Whatever you do, it's not meaningless if you do it as for the Lord and not for man. If you do it with excellence, if you do it with joy, if you do it for your king. And lastly, then this text is obviously a warning. God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which this will happen. Where he will judge the world by a man whom he has appointed, the Lord Jesus Christ. So John five twenty four, Jesus says to you, Truly, true, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. But has passed from death to life so for all of you this is this is a call to see the bankruptcy of your, your your life your soul to i hope this has helped you to give up on you i hope this has at least shown you that listen if you were really to be judged for everything you don't stand a chance And that's such a good thing. If that happens to you, I thank God because that's a miracle. Because you know what? Sinners are so proud. Like, yes, I'm bad, but I'm going to try better. Tomorrow, I'm going to get it right. No, you're not listening. You cannot do it. So fall on Christ. Trust in Christ. Rest in Christ. And you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, the, for your word that really opens our eyes, wakes us up, shows us who we are in the light of your perfect holiness, your perfect justice. Lord, who of us can say that we are clean from our sin? Who of us can say that we have not failed in countless, numerous, innumerable ways? But that's why, Lord Jesus, you've said, Blessed, happy are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the way of escape. That you are the lamb of God who was slain. That your blood is bigger and better than all our sins. That we can rest in you. Lord, help us to cling to Christ. And may this text also encourage us to work to work for you and to know, Lord, that none of our good works will be forgotten as well. Lord, so please let this text be the meditation of our hearts. Even in this week, we pray in Jesus' name.